The majority of women that come to Geneva or that we talk to think that they're going crazy or that something is seriously wrong with them when in fact this is a very much normal part of life. Hello and welcome to the BBXX podcast. Let's get intimate. I'm your host, Sasha Laurie, and we're here to challenge the way our culture has conditioned us to talk and think about sexuality, intimacy, and healthy relationships. To question everything, to embark on a journey of self-understanding, and to begin to rewire some of the backwards thinking that we've absorbed from the subconscious influences that have shaped us all. Our hope for you and for myself and for all of us here at BBXX who are on this journey with you every day is that through a better understanding of our own identity of who we are and why we are that way, we can form deeper connections with other people and live healthier, more fulfilling relationships as a result. Join us as we change the conversation and the culture surrounding intimacy and relationships. And remember that better relationships equals a better life. Before we start the show today, I'd love to give a really important shout out to our user of the week, Roya. We got a note from Roya saying, Hi, your community is amazing. I joined to stay in the know and be updated on my knowledge about women. I'm 55 years old from Iran and have a 20-year-old daughter, so I need to know about the new world views on relationships, sex, so that I can speak with my daughter. Thank you for your useful posts. Hoping for health and peace for our world. Thank you, Roya. And all our other listeners, please write us and let us know why you follow us on Instagram, why you listen to the podcast, what you like, and any ways that you think we can improve and create better content so that you can live better relationships. Jill Angelo is the founder and CEO of Genev, a company dedicated to bringing the world a better menopause experience. Their online hub features resources from educational materials to menopause health coaches, telemedicine appointments, and wellness products. Named as one of Inc. Magazine's 2016 Most Impressive Women Entrepreneurs, Jill is a driving force for bringing effective health solutions, information, and resources to women and the men and people who support them during some of the most vibrant years of their lives. I usually open these conversations asking people, you know, about their background and how they came to be doing the work that they are committed to today. But for this interview, I wanted to open by asking you why and how menopause is stigmatized. That's a great question. Um, I think the why it's stigmatized is it goes way back in history around being associated first with changes in whether it's anxiety or other hot flashes, the outward 
visualizations of what hormonal change does in a woman. Um, way back in history, there was no way to explain it. And so you look at historical analysis of menopause and women were just kind of cast aside because their behavior changed or they were sweating or unexplainable things were happening to them at a certain age. And if you speed it up to modern day times, menopause is stigmatized because it's also now attached to aging and a woman's now next chapter around not being in the reproductive years of her life. And in cultures or in society where value is placed on women in their ability to be reproductive or to be beautiful and young, menopause uh, has a stigma associated with it because it doesn't represent those things. And we haven't yet transitioned to the notion of menopause being a real freeing moment in a woman's life or being the kickoff to the second half of life for women. So I think we're in an interesting moment of change in society, but unfortunately, we have a lot of history that we have to erase or at least start to morph over time. Do you happen to have any examples to put that into context in terms of the history of menopause? I just think back to the other day, I found myself explaining to somebody what the red tent was, for example. Yeah, Dating back to 1821, if you want to go that far back, a French physician coined the term menopause. And the word they used to define a deficiency, they even thought it was a disease in women where they were deficient of certain things, not only in their ability to reproduce, but they would no longer menstruate. And menstruation was associated with reproduction and pregnancy because you, you know, menstruation and the lack thereof was always the marker for pregnancy because you don't menstruate when you're pregnant. No longer menstruating is a deficiency. They saw it as a depletion. And again, even women associated with this deficiency, if they were also going through extreme anxiety, that mental health notion and understanding it or depression, it just wasn't something many, many years ago that was understood. And so this notion of, oh, she's now deficient in this, and oh, now that leads to, in some cases, crazy behavior as they defined it. That's, I think, where the initial kind of bad notion of menopause and what it represents uh, began. And it wasn't really until kind of the 1970s even that they started to medicalize menopause in terms of looking at how do we actually address many of the symptoms associated with this hormone depletion in women. When you think about 1821 to 1970, you know, that's a huge spread of time where little to no work was done in this part of women's health. And so there was no advancement. So again, that's why it feels like we have so much work to do because we've known very little about menopause over that time. Even in our own company, Genev, we track data and we have one of the largest databases on women's health at this phase of life, and we're a new company. So the fact that it hasn't been documented or researched just kind of shows that this notion of using the nomenclature that's been handed down over time is what we use today. It kind of helps us understand why we haven't progressed faster. We don't know much about it. Yeah, it was interesting when you mentioned that it was seen as a disease disease rather than just a normal 
cycle of life. On one hand, okay, maybe people weren't living as long. And so, you know, maybe not everybody got deep into menopause, or then I wondered, well, wouldn't they just think logically as you get older, maybe from an evolutionary basis, people weren't meant to have kids in the third stage of life. And then also wondered, well, maybe they didn't even realize that they couldn't have kids because I wonder what relationships were like back then and how many people were even, you know, sexually active and happy in their relationships later on in life. So from a comical historical perspective, I'm wondering when things really did start improving and and when kind of the research did start digging into this and kind of a more modern and positive approach, if we can even say we're there yet. Yeah. You know, the positivity is we're still yet to come into that. But if you were to look at when people started to kind of truly take a serious view at at, um, medical care for this part of life, would have been in the 1930s. They still defined menopause as a deficiency disease, but the first kind of estrogen replacement therapy options became available in the 1930s and 40s, you know, around Premarin or in some cases, true like pharma developed clinically approved prescription forms of estrogen. So in the 1930s and 40s, which again, isn't that long ago, we started to have some of the first prescription treatments for menopause. And then in the you know early 1990s, there was a huge initiative around the Women's Health Initiative that proved that those prescription therapies were associated with cancer. So it really set us back um, for a long time, even though those reports and findings have been challenged because they tested it in women 65 plus age category versus women who are actually going through menopause, um, which are in their 40s and 50s. And so I think that notion of positivity, not only as it being something that is freeing for women, um, but then even how we're medically supporting it, we still have so much work to do. I have to say 2019 was an interesting year around starting to change the perception of menopause. And it often starts with celebrities or people who are in the public eye redefining the notion of what it means to be a woman in middle in midlife, a woman in her 50s. And even People Magazine in December listed some of their top people of the year. And they were women who had turned 50. You know, Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Aniston, Michelle Obama is in her 50s. They're all at the height of their careers. They look amazing. They're doing their best work ever. And so until you start to see examples of women thriving and being at the top of their game at this age of life, it takes those, unfortunate, but it it takes those kinds of symbols for a societal change to start to adjust around something that's been a negative for so long. And we're just starting to see some of that, which I think is so fantastic and great because not only does a woman have freedom from menstruation as she goes through menopause, in many cases, It has been shown as these hormonal changes happen in women, they become more creative. Other confidence is at an all-time high, so they have an ability to succeed or be successful at things that they might not have been able to in the past because of that level of confidence and freedom. And so it's we're just starting to see some examples. I think it's going to take a lot more time. There's nothing quote-unquote scientific. It's got to be a societal change, and we're just starting to come into that. It's 
exciting and very positive that this can be something that comes into the spotlight. At the same time, the fact that it takes women who are 50 looking like they're 30 to, you know, make something cool. But I'm wondering if this is even something that they are talking about or just the fact that there are women who are public figures in their 50s and we can, you know, assume that they are going through some process of menopause or any of them really taking it upon themselves to become spokespeople or even just to destigmatize it in any simple way. You know, actions speak louder than words. And so I think as long as we see examples of women thriving, that's the number one message that has to live. But there is a new narrative beginning. Just, I think, a week and a half ago, The Hollywood Reporter even did a story on a number of celebrities that have started to, um, or women in the spotlight, that have started to address it, to talk about it. They even did a list of where certain television shows or films are starting to write it into the scripts through actions, not always through dialogue. And then even in 2019, we saw a number of new, even menopause companies pop up or Facebook groups or newsletters or media platforms talking about these topics. So, and again, I'm always watching the space and the conversation around menopause. So I'm probably a little bit more on it than the average consumer, but it's beginning. And when I started Genev in 2016, there was nothing. It was crickets except for women on Reddit forums, you know, or in, in private chat rooms or book clubs or wine clubs. And so the conversation definitely is becoming more prominent. You're seeing more organizations start to step up to do something different and to kind of treat and address menopause and empower women to thrive through it in new ways than they ever have before. So little by little, we're, we're getting there. And it's naturally not something that's going to change overnight, nor is anyone going to stand up and yell, I'm in menopause. Um, you don't really see women doing that if they're trying to conceive a child and going through fertility treatments. They're not loudly stating that either. So to put that same kind of requirement on on menopause in terms of it declaring that it's out in the public. I, I think that might be a little unfair, but from my standpoint, we've really in the last few years started to see some progress. I have a long ways to go, but it's positive. And so to put this into context, when I was reading before our interview, just reading that, you know, there are 13 million women in the US who are are going through menopause. And if you use the age of 60 as an average to assume that a woman has passed through menopause, then worldwide mm -hmm. there are a half of a billion women who have passed through menopause. And so just thinking there's this huge community. It's not even something that is a, a quick process per se, or, you know, that not that many people can relate to. This is an extremely, extremely common and I think more difficult than most people realize experience. And so to contextualize that in terms of, of numbers and then also in terms of treatment, realizing in, in my research leading up to this interview that only 7% of women are getting the help they need to manage menopause symptoms and surveys finding that 48%, essentially half of general practitioners have no training in menopause management. And so the 
sheer numbers and, you know, the the huge community behind this compared to the resources. This is completely absurd. Right. I agree. We have a lack of care in the medical field. There is little to no education. Um, The only practitioner type that receives any education around menopause are OBGYNs. And in the U.S., the average age of an OBGYN is 55 years old. And so we're retiring them faster than we're graduating new ones. And so there is this shortage of care. And so many women just don't, their doctors don't understand it. Primary care, GPs, they don't understand or their knowledge and experience working with menopausal symptoms and correlating what's happening in a woman's body to the hormonal shifts in her body, a lot of that just isn't known or they haven't had time or focus on it or any formal education. And so oftentimes a lot of the women that come to Genev, their number one thing is number one, you know, just tell me I'm not going crazy. Like this is normal. And number two, I just want someone who gets me. Where do I find that kind of practitioner that can help me? And so that's really what spurred our whole mission to start Genev and to build this online clinic for women in menopause, really based off that notion of the shortage of medical care options that exist for women in this stage of life. And your point exactly around the size of the population, it is pretty crazy that we don't have more care because this is half the population that goes through this. So it's not any insignificant or niche number of patients or women. And so it's surprising. And I think it goes to show that women are masterful at doing the best they can and or suffering in silence, which is no good for anybody, but that has existed for a long time. And uh, we're hoping to change that. Yeah, that idea of women being masterful at suffering in silence, which is admirable on one hand, but obviously that, that needs to change both on the side, obviously, of having resources and support and feeling as though they can, since a lot of these other studies mentioned that 47%, aka half, of women felt they couldn't discuss their symptoms with their bosses or colleagues. Also, on the part of women as a whole and men to help destigmatize this in making the effort to overcome those barriers and be somebody who speaks up and shares and helps start these conversations. You guys at Genev refer to this space as something in which there are few specialists and a lot of myths. And so as we touched on the few specialists, I'm wondering how much or little do we know about menopause where there's still gaps in knowledge and what are some of the biggest myths in this space? You know, I think um, primarily gaps in knowledge. Um, Number one, there are 34 different symptoms of menopause that so often go treated individually versus looking holistically at what's happening in the body. And so oftentimes women will be on an antidepressant or something that is not correlated back to the overall hormonal change that's happening in her body that could be better addressed with an estrogen patch or a localized version of estrogen. And so I think number one, just understanding the correlation and the range of symptoms that hormonal changes can address is is point number one that's not being met today. A big myth and or fear and lots of uncertainty and doubt exists around estrogen therapy or HRT, hormone replacement therapy. I mentioned earlier in back in the early 90s, there was the Women's Health Initiative, which was a big study that really cast a lot of fear and doubt on using 
hormone replacement therapy because of its potential correlation to cancer. But if you're using it later in life, which their study studied women 65 plus, that correlation is much higher than if you're using it in the early stages of onset menopause um, symptoms such as hot flashes or anxiety or inability to sleep. And so there's a lot of fear and myths and uncertainty around hormone therapy that is starting to uh, where there's a number of companies now that are trying to start to change that perception because it can be something that is so helpful to women in terms of bringing back their quality of life or improving their quality of life in a safe, effective way. The means even by which women can acquire it and use it more localized than systemically like they've used in the past um, have improved. You know, methods have become more effective and innovative. And, and so that's kind of, I'd say, the second myth or, or fear or inadequacy that exists around menopause today. And the third one is really just this notion of normalizing it. Again, the majority of women that come to Genev or that we talk to think that they're going crazy or that something is seriously wrong with them when in fact this is a very much normal part of life. And through that, we've just got to, again, start to normalize it and help people realize that this is, this is very normal. It's very natural. It's organic. And it's something that women can actually thrive through versus suffering so much by themselves. So kind of those three core things are, are probably key myths or, or issues in trying to improve this whole part of women's life. And I think as I was reading as well, discussing kind of the myths or I'll say misunderstandings or perhaps misconceptions when I read that menopause technically is just one day. Yes, it is. The term itself is that specific where it refers to the one year anniversary since your last period. So when you have lived one year without having a single period, you have an anniversary that is called menopause. And then that's it. And so just these three stages and the perimenopausal stage, which is where you're actually experiencing symptoms and what we associate with being menopause in the term on its own actually has kind of this whole other stage and name for it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're right in that menopause is a single day. Perimenopause is this time frame leading up to that day where a woman has no longer had a menstrual cycle for 12 consecutive months. And so that, that perimenopausal time of life is probably some of the most disturbing in terms of symptoms, because that's where women are experiencing the most change in terms of, you know, changing menstrual cycles. Sometimes it's unpredictable. Sometimes flow is very heavy. Sometimes it's very painful, as well as changing anxiety patterns, changes in sleep and, and a woman's ability to sleep. Also experiencing hot flashes or night sweats where the body temperature of a woman is just kind of the thermostat is just off. And so she can have kind of immense periods of sweating that can even lead to heart palpitations. And so some women are concerned that they might be having a heart attack. The woman during perimenopause goes through such change that, again, we don't prepare women for because we don't talk about it. Like we prepare young girls for having their first menstrual cycle or their first period. We don't really talk about it with women in menopause. And so 
those symptoms are oftentimes not only big changes, but they're surprises for women. And that period of menopause, perimenopause can lead, can go anywhere from two to 10 years. So it can be a significant chunk of time. When a woman hits that one year anniversary of no periods for 12 consecutive months, she is hit menopause. And now from there on out, she's in postmenopause. And postmenopause essentially is the whole second half of life in some ways. There are symptoms that can continue in that period of life, but will certainly decline over time. And oftentimes what we see in the women at Genev, and they complete our what we call our menopause assessment. And this assessment kind of helps a woman understand where is she at in that journey between perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. We've kind of put out five different types that a woman can be defined in to understand, you know, if she's type one, she's in premenopause, type two, perimenopause, et cetera, et cetera. And in that postmenopausal phase, we've seen certain patterns of symptoms that are different than perimenopause. A lot more changes around uh, skin and hair, a lot of changes in vaginal health, in dryness, in potential sexual pain. Libido will go back up during that time of life. But sometimes, you know, the vagina is has aged a bit. And so just like any other part of our bodies um, and our skin needs extra care to keep its elasticity and the skin healthy. And so we see, and other, there's other postmenopausal symptoms around heart health and brain health and bone health that are incredibly important for a woman to pay attention to and address. And so what we're trying to do at Genev is really help women understand where are they at in this journey and then how best do they take care of themselves and or put preventative measures in place so that that postmenopausal phase of life is good and healthy and and we take precautions against any kind of postmenopausal challenges, specifically around bone health, heart health, and brain health that women can mitigate. Well, first of all, just in terms of the fact that we use these different terms to refer to things that are actually a different phase or outside of that, it reminded me of the fact when you learn that actually what we refer to as the vagina is the vulva and, you know, these terms that we just carry on using culturally without reflecting kind of the nuances, the extremely important nuances of the body or of these processes. And then I couldn't help but think back to before menopause had a name and was identified as being something natural and part of the life process, how many women must have just thought, considering how many women I know who thought they were dying when they got their first period, I actually can't imagine, you know, how many women were just so utterly confused and probably convinced that they had some intensely fatal illness with all these mix of symptoms without the information, considering that in this day and age, it remains a bit murky and confusing. Again, it not being openly discussed or the resources being at the hip. To clarify, in terms of the stages of pre and peri menopausal and it leading up to that year without a period, which equals menopause in itself. 
I'm wondering about how long that process is since at first you might think, okay, so a year, but then obviously there are, I'm sure, many years that are passed through in which period cycles change and become less frequent, but before a full 12 months is reached, about how long can that window be and how early can it start? That period of change can go anywhere from two to 10 years. And so you might start seeing some noticing some changes with your menstrual cycle in terms of its frequency or its timing or periods, you know, between periods, um, shortening or the flow changing in terms of heaviness, you could start seeing that in your early 40s and continue through those types of changes into your early to mid 50s. And some women, they will go even six to eight months consecutively with no menstrual cycle and then boom, it comes back again. And they here they thought they were on their way to that 12-month marker and now it's interrupted with, oh, they got their period. And so that's very common. And that's what makes that perimenopause timeframe frustrating for women because there's just little to no certainty. And what's even more, women, there's no one size fits all for perimenopause or for women in menopause. Every woman is individual. Sometimes we can see correlating patterns off of our mothers or our sisters or family members, but typically it's very individual for that woman. To further kind of sometimes add mystery or complicate things, if a woman is using birth control or an IUD or any kind of hormonal-based solution for prevention of pregnancy or even to regulate her periods or decrease the pain, sometimes that can add further just, you know, you don't get all the signs associated with that menstrual cycle that you typically would if you weren't on the birth control. Because some women have an IUD, a Mirena IUD, to control discomfort of periods or to not have them at all. So we don't really even know where she's at in that cycle as a result. And so it just kind of adds further complication and mystery to this whole cycle of, of knowing when you hit menopause. So again, that's why I think this part of women's health is so complicated because there's just different variables and every woman leading up to it has addressed not only her pregnancy, but also managed her menstrual cycles up to that period in a way that works for her. And so sometimes it can kind of cloud that all the signs of knowing when you hit that 12-month mark. When you mentioned the period coming back, all of a sudden it just reminded me of how frequently people make jokes about day three or day five or whatever of your cycle when you think your period's over and then it just surprise comes back, Mm -hmm. but to a whole other level after months. So we've kind of discussed a, a lot of the complications and obviously certain things that are difficult to manage and the symptoms But I'm wondering how you would phrase what the pros of menopause would be or the positive side of it. You know, I think the positivity, um, obviously, there's freedom from having your menstrual cycle and from menstruating. Uh, Women who are on the other side of it talk about that frequently. We've also seen this notion of increased creativity and confidence. Women doing new things on the other side of menopause or having gone through it. And part of that is just the place in life that we are. The older we get, the wiser we become because we have more time and experiences under our belts. And so you see in terms of in the US, I think alone, the highest rate of 
women starting their own businesses are women 50 plus, which I think is interesting because they've come to this point in life where A, they've got the social capital, they've got the maybe the financial capital, they've got the confidence, they've got the freedom and to actually go do the thing that they want to do. And so there is, I'd say, if you were to say, what's one word that represents women in the second half of life or beyond this menopausal period of life, it's freedom in so many different ways. And you're seeing it in women really kind of at the top of their game. And so I think that's where the positivity comes. I also have to say, we often talk about menopause as puberty the second time around, but it's like the anti-puberty. It's like the opposite thing happens. The first time our bodies are flooded with hormones. And the second time those hormones leave our body. And when they leave, it sets us up for what's our health going to look like for truly the second half of life. We've got a whole nother second half left. And so how best are we going to thrive in terms of feeling great and being healthy and and getting to do finally the things we want to now that we have this newfound freedom in so many ways. And so uh, that's where the positive message comes out for me. And you're starting to see it societally. And the more that we can help empower women to take control of their health and the changes they're going through during menopause, the more that it sets them up for that positive change down the road. Yeah, I love that image of a liberation of time, energy, and and stress in a way. I can only imagine when women didn't have to go sit in the red tent for days or a week out of the month, how much more productive they could be and how much more free they felt. And so kind of on a much smaller scale, just having a bit of that positivity to thread through this narrative of menopause for women I think is really valid and valuable. And so through all of this and, you know, looking at Genev and what you guys are doing to try and help normalize this and and provide these much needed resources to women, I'd love to dive into your story and what events, experiences or lesson learned from your past have led you to where you are today and the work you're doing today. Sure, absolutely. So my background has been in technology. I've had 20 years in the tech industry that was working at big tech companies. I started at a software company that we took public. Microsoft acquired us, and then I worked at Microsoft for 15 years. And during that time, obviously, I love tech. I love how technology improves people's lives. And so I've seen real world applications of that whether that be in developed markets or developing markets, I've worked around the world in that capacity. But my personal interests were always in women and girls development. Philanthropically, that's where I've spent my time. And so when I started Genev in 2016, it really brought my passion around women and girls development, in this case, women's women's welfare and development, together with my background in business and technology. I see a real opportunity to change the way women experience menopause. And what really drove me to menopause, A, no one was doing anything about it. And so that kind of got under my skin, like, wow, this is something that has been around since life began. And yet no one's really addressed it in terms of helping women thrive through it. And number two, I was just seeing women when they're just starting to hit their stride or get to the top of their game, whether it's career-wise or being more independent from their family or just coming into their own, their confidence was being impacted because of the 
impacts of menopause and the way that they were feeling and and the am I going crazy notion um, because they just truly didn't know what was happening and no one would listen to them from a medical standpoint. And so that kind of is really what drove me to start Genev because I was like, there's a better way to figure this out. And I bet we can leverage some notion of technology to try to bring more support to millions of women around the world. Our mission at Genev is to empower women to take control of their health in the second half of life, dot, 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 starting with menopause, um, because that's where the change begins. And so the more that we can do that, the more we help women feel in that place of confidence and in control of their lives. And to me, that's the mission of our business. That's what keeps me excited about this. I'm also a business person. I see a huge market and a huge opportunity. And so that's certainly part of what motivates me. But even more so, technology has a has a great role to play and be applied to this part of women's health. And so I hope to just bring a little bit of that value to millions of women around the world, because I think you know, the bar to me, because no one's done anything, is low. So even if we can start to address it in terms of education or bringing women together in a community or getting them access to tools and resources and services that they wouldn't typically have without Genev, that's kind of mission accomplished in my mind. As you said, you know, this is something that's been around since life began. I couldn't help but think how it also ironically and beautifully is the result of the process of reproduction that is what allows for the beginning of life in itself. Thank you so much to each and every one of you for tuning in to listen to our show. If you like what you learned and you know someone who might also like listening, please do share this podcast. You can also feel free to reach out to us anytime if you'd like to submit questions, requests for experts to have on the show, or if you'd like to share your positive feedback or constructive criticism. We'd love to hear what you think. It's the only way we can learn and grow along with you. Be sure to check out our website, follow us on Instagram at bbxx.world, and subscribe to the book club newsletter where we send out even more resources to help you dive even deeper to the topics that we bring to you on the show. Once again, we encourage you to take what we discuss on this show and apply it in your everyday life. Because remember, better relationships equals better life.